So when I was in sixth grade, my sixth grade teacher required us to keep a journal. And uh, we didn't have any choice over that matter, so we had to have an entry for every day, seven days a week, that she would check every two weeks to make sure that we had written our journals. And um, back then, I didn't think that was such a great idea, but it uh, instilled in me this, um, this ritual, this discipline at certain times in my life of keeping a journal, which I have. And in fact, I just today, I went back to my little collection of journals that this one's from 12 years ago that uh, just uh, provided me, provides me an opportunity to go back on my life and to think about where I was and where I was with God, where I was with other people at that particular season of life so that I might learn about what's happening uh, in this particular day and time. So I'm looking forward to uh, journaling with you and I encourage you to pick up one of those free journals uh, over in the uh, Palm Center and perhaps make it uh, a part of your life as we begin our good journey together. So our scripture today is from Luke chapter 18 and we are in the ninth verse. This is a teaching of Jesus. Hear the word of God. Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give a tenth of all my income. The tax collector, standing afar off, would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus says, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled. And all who humble themselves will be exalted. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. By your grace and through your mercy, we pray that you will allow these words to come, to point to the word just read into the word made flesh, as we wonder about where we are in this particular point of life and where you might wish us to be. For we ask this in Christ's name, amen. <clears throat> the story is told about a little boy who lived a century or so ago out in the Midwestern backcountry. He had reached the age of 12 and had never in all his life been to the circus. Well, one day a poster went up in school that announced that the next Saturday a traveling circus was coming to the nearby town. He ran home with the news and asked his father if there's any way that he could go to the circus. The family was poor, but the father could see in the boy's eyes how badly he wanted to go. So he said, if you get your Saturday chores done ahead of time, I'll see to it that you have the money to go. Well, Saturday morning came and the chores were done and a little boy stood before his father dressed in his Sunday best. The father reached into his overalls and pulled out a dollar bill, the most money the little boy had ever seen in all his life. The father cautioned the boy to be careful and then said, you go have a good time and sent him on his way. 
The boy was so excited his feet barely touched the ground as he ran the whole way. And as he approached the village, he noticed that people were lining the streets and he worked his way through the crowd until he could see what was coming. Lo and behold, in the distance approached the great spectacle of the circus parade. It was the greatest thing the little boy had ever seen. There were animals and cages and bands and all sorts of performers and lions and tigers and elephants. The, the boy just stood there in amazement. And finally, after everything had passed where he was standing, there came the traditional circus clown with floppy shoes and baggy pants and brightly painted face, bringing up the rear of the parade. And as the clown passed by where the little boy was standing, he reached into his pocket and pulled out a precious dollar bill, ran up to the clown, handed it to the clown, and then turned around and walked home. Walked home because he thought he had seen the circus when he had only seen the parade. Sometimes when we think we're at the end, it turns out we're only at the beginning. Fyodor Dostoevsky, the great 19th century novelist, when he was young and was arrested for revolutionary activities against the state, he was sentenced to death by firing squad. And when the day came, he was marched out into the prison courtyard with, with his fellow revolutionaries dressed in burial shrouds. They, they lined the men against the wall, rifles cocked, ready, aim. And with that came the approach of the Tsar's messenger declaring that the young men's execution was stayed and that they instead were sentenced to five years hard labor. I cannot recall, Dostoevsky later wrote, when I was ever as happy as on that day. I walked up and down my cell and sang the whole time, sang at the top of my voice, so happy at being given back my life. I was born again in a new form. And from there began the formation of the great spiritual and philosophical classics like Crime and Punishment and the Brothers Karamazov. Sometimes when we think we're at the end, we may only be at the beginning. Sometimes what seems the finish line may well be the starting line. Life has its way, doesn't it, of drawing for us finish lines. Maybe when we were young, it all had to do with school. We, we saw the finish line at the end of every school year, or maybe when it was the end of our final exams, or maybe it was graduation day. Maybe when our education was over, we thought our learning was over. It reminds me of the story of the older brother bringing his younger sister with him to the first day of school, and he turns to her and says, you know, I've only got one piece of advice to you. Never learn how to spell the word cat, because when you learn how to spell the word cat, they just keep giving you harder words. <laughs> Life has its way of putting in front of us arbitrary finish lines. Sometimes these finish lines have their way of making us think we're finished. You lose your job, you think you're finished. You get passed over for a promotion and you think you're finished. You complete school and you think you're finished learning. You get an unexpected diagnosis and you think your life is finished. Or you retire to Florida and you think your life is finished. Your marriage hits some turbulence and you think you're finished. Life has its way of painting in front of us finish lines that in our crossing them may give us the impression that we're done 
So Jesus tells us a story about two men who thought that maybe they both were at the finish line. The first man was a spiritual guy, a, a Pharisee. Pharisees were guys, and they were only guys, who spent their lives checking off all the spiritual boxes. They had performed all the required religious acts. They read their Bibles every day. They had their biblical doctrine pretty spelled out. Thank God, the Pharisee says, I'm not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, even this tax collector, I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. Very impressive, except maybe he thought he was at the finish line. Nowhere else to go, settled into the rut and routine of a calcified spiritual life. No new revelation, no warming of the heart, no increased giving, no new exploration as to what the Bible really might be saying to me today. That's man number one. Man number two is the tax collector who's managed to make some pretty bad choices. And the biggest of all the bad choices is the choice to be a tax collector. He's turned his back on his people, signed a contract with the Roman occupying forces to collect oppressive duties on his own people for the benefit of the enemy. And worst, he's lining his own pocket. He's made himself into a pariah, certainly in the eyes of his own people, not to mention possibly his own family. And for some reason, all this comes crashing down upon him, and with shame, he staggers to the corner of the temple, beats his breast, and says, God, I'm finished. I'm at the bottom of the heap. I've got nowhere else to go. Be merciful to me, a sinner. Two men, two finish lines. But the difference, Jesus says, is that the one man, the righteous man, thinks that finished means finished. He's checked all the boxes. He's gotten his master's degree in religion. And the other man thinks that finish maybe means start. So far down he has gone, the only way to look is up. One man thinks he's completed his degree, and the other man is registering for his first class. It's one of the great biblical principles that God is all about starting lines and not finish lines. When Abraham and Sarah get to the ripe old age of 190, respectively, they think they're finished. But then the angels visit and say, guess what, Sarah? You're going to have a baby. You're just getting started. When Joseph gets sold into slavery and thrown into an Egyptian prison, he thinks perhaps he's finished, but God and Pharaoh say, you know, you're just getting started, Joseph. When Moses runs for his life from that very Egypt and goes into hiding in the wilderness, he thinks he's pretty much finished, but then the burning bush keeps burning, and God says, you're just getting started, Moses. When the woman rendered unclean for 12 years because of some physical abnormality shunned by her own community approaches Jesus hoping beyond hope that her uncleanness is not the final word for her, reaches out to touch just the fringe of Jesus' robe and says to herself, maybe this could be the beginning. And sure enough, 
she finds she's right at the starting line. When Peter denies Jesus not once, not twice, but three times and slinks away disgraced and finished, he thinks in the eyes of his master, Jesus, after the resurrection, pulls him aside and says, okay, Peter, big mistake, but how about we start over? The Apostle Paul, so sure he was right, so sure he was right in his biblical interpretation, gets knocked off his horse, blinded by the light, and Jesus says, I have another story for you to write. How about we get started? You see, it's all about grace, right? And grace is when we see that God is not through with us yet. That there ain't no finish line that God cannot turn into a starting line. Jack McConnell was no relation to me, and I know he was always glad for that. But he was a Presbyterian elder that I knew up in New Jersey. Jack was a researcher in the pharmaceutical industry and had a hand in the creation of Tylenol. But the time came for him to retire, which he did, and he and his wife Mary Ellen, Mary Ellen moved to Hilton Head to begin their retired life. That doesn't sound biblical, does it? Retired life? Finish line? So after a few rounds of golf, Jack started noticing this community of people in Hilton Head who were there eking out a living while they served the wealthy who had come to retire. And he noticed that they didn't have any insurance and they didn't have the money for basic health care. So Jack, back, when, back then, 30 years ago, began to pilot a project to organize hundreds and hundreds of retired doctors to volunteer their time to take care of the impoverished. He called it the Volunteer in Medicine Health Clinic. He got the town to donate land architects to draw plans, builders to donate materials, insurance companies to provide malpractice insurance, convince the state legislature to pass a bill to create a special volunteer license for clinical physicians. He started the Volunteers in Medicine Institute, a nonprofit foundation that assists in setting up clinics like the one in Hilton Head. Hundreds of clinics have been started over the country. A hundred thousand people have been seen in that Hilton Head clinic alone. That's turning your finish line into a starting line. Maggie Kuhn was a Presbyterian elder I met when I was ministering in Philadelphia. You may remember Maggie Kuhn. When she was 65, they made her retire, and she said, I'm not ready to retire. I'm not ready to be put out to pasture. You may force me into retirement, but I'm going to turn this into something else. So she founded the Gray Panthers. Remember the Gray Panthers? An elder advocacy group that insisted that there was no such thing as a finish line that older people were wiser people, and they had their own way of changing the world. Charles Colson, Watergate conspirator, Nixon hatchet man, mastermind of White House dirty tricks, thrown into prison, names splashed across every headline of every newspaper in the country, finished. Except that in the darkness of his prison cell, he meets Jesus, and Jesus says, oh, Chuck, you're just getting started. And Colson goes on to lead one of the great prison reform movements in history. So here's the deal. If it's true that you have held on to the same school of thought for most of your life, 
or if you have held the same kind of opinion for many years, if you have participated in the same spiritual practices for as long as you remember, or if you've held to no spiritual practice for as long as you remember, if you think you've got the Bible all figured out, or if you can't figure out the Bible, if you have retired and you really can't claim any mission for your life, if you have said to yourself, oh, you know, I've done my part, best for other people to do it, if you have made some bad decisions and you've gotten yourself into some bad places, if you're sitting around watching too much TV, if your biggest concern is capital preservation, then what may have happened somewhere along the way is that you have deemed yourself finished. But I'm here to say that there is no book in the Bible called finished. It is an arrogant affront to God for us to suggest that God is through with us. So is now maybe that precise time? Is now the time to look ahead and see this path that still lies in front of you? This good journey, this way, this truth, this life that Jesus beckons us into, this possibility that even now, maybe God isn't yet through with me or was it that Oscar Wilde said once, every saint has a past and every sinner has a future? I sure understand that last part. And I hope and pray you do too. For what a shame. What a shame to leave at the end of the parade and miss the beginning of the circus.